Don't kids ask the darndest things on the way out of church? Jesus is cluck clucking his disciples through the busy parking lot as they're leaving the temple, and his little sheep stop and stare, jaws slack, at the great buildings in front of them, looking at the amazing materials used to construct them. Look at the size of the stones, Jesus. Imagine what big, important people designed this place. And what an amazing work it is that they brought these stones all the way here and then figured out how to put them one on top of another. How amazing these people and these buildings are. Right, Jesus? Right? Charles, my two-year-old, has taken up that verbal tick. Right? Right? Which I didn't realize that I had until I saw it reflected in my son. More often than not, I don't know what he's just said. I'm, and in as such, I'm reticent to affirm him, not knowing what it is that I would be committing myself to. Right, Mama? Right? In an opposite way, perhaps, the disciples this morning, as they urge Jesus to affirm them, They want him to agree with the praise that they're heaping on these great stone edifices. Jesus, for his part, understands too well what it is that they're mesmerized by. And so all the more he resists joining the chorus of adoration. The disciples are being mesmerized by the shiny the impressive, being wooed by human-focused feats, finding themselves seduced by the lie of finding security and strength in our own accomplishments. When these buildings fall, as Jesus says they will in verse 2, there will not be one stone here left upon another. All will be thrown down. And when that happens, if the disciples have put their trust, their hope, their anchor, their foundation in these great edifices, in these depending on themselves and on human strength, when it becomes rubble, where are the disciples? Hope. They're left adrift without a foundation, without a shepherd. It reminds me of the stories of Disney princesses a little bit. The prince saving the princess from whatever kind of sad situation she's gotten herself into. And then what happens at the very end? They live happily ever after. Anyone who has been married will tell you, happily ever after is a lovely dream, but it is not reality. There is joy and there is happiness, absolutely. But I recently read an article about this very uh, tension between reality in love stories and Disney princesses that so many of us were raised on. One of the women who was interviewed has three little girls, and she says that any time she tells them a story or reads them a fairy tale that ends, they lived happily ever after. She has trained her daughters to say in response, with lots of hard work and open communication. (laughs) Perhaps not quite so nostalgic and rose-colored, 
but creating more reasonable expectations in them, surely. So it is for the disciples, and so it is for us, that if we place our hope in any story, any fairy tale, any alternate reality, any other truth, any stone building, any anchor or foundation other than Jesus Christ, the story of God who became human, who came to live with us, to show his great love for us, to be next to us, to live with us, even brothers and sisters, to live inside of our hearts. And then, as Hebrews said this morning, to take away our sin, to make his life an offering of love, that we would be forgiven. Our freedom, which is bought with the price of Jesus' own blood, is a freedom to fill, to choose the thoughts that fill our heads, to choose the voices that we listen to, to direct our path, to choose the stories to believe that shape our reality. And that's my charge to us this morning, that we would steward, that we would take good and careful care of our minds and thereby of our habits, our relationships, of our loves, of our allegiance. A friend of mine put it well yesterday when she told me in the morning, I had all of the reasons in the world not to go to the gym today. I hadn't had breakfast yet. I had to get ready to teach later on. And my class was three hours in the driving away. It was cold, blah, 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 she said. But she'd made a commitment to herself that 30 minutes of walking was non-negotiable, no matter what. So she thanked the voice in her head for its opinion. She pulled on her shoes and she did her cardio. I'm not here to tell you that exercise is the way of salvation, but I suspect that each one of us can identify that self-talk, that voice in our head that encourages laziness or sloth, that encourages meanness, that urges us to disregard others, spurs us on to constant frenetic activity. It's hard to preach a sermon about the millions of different ways that Satan can tempt each one of us to turn from God. But at bottom, any sin or temptation is just a distortion of what's already there, a distortion of what's already good, what God has created. So in the spirit of stewardship season, as we are, in addition to examining our bank accounts and our spending habits, I urge us to consider the things that we hold close to our hearts, the things that when knocked around or displaced or challenged, we rise up quickly to defend, to put back in exactly the same spot, to restore the equilibrium as quickly as possible. Because more often than not, 
Those are the things that have weaseled into our hearts. Whatever leaves us feeling adrift when it's removed. Whatever shoves us into irritation when it's shifted. Whatever makes us all twitchy when it's disturbed. That's what we've been making into a God. That's the thing that's been controlling our thoughts and spinning up lies in our heads. For my friend, it's the demon depression who wants to keep her from feeling the endorphins of exercise. With her hormones ramped up, she's much more ready to face the challenges of the day than if she lets the heaviness of depression rule her mind, her body, her life. So if there's any story that is ruling our heads or our hearts, other than the one where God is made man in the person of Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins, then we must let it go. More than just casting it off, we must throw it away. We must tear it out of our lives, out of our minds, out of our hearts. For anything less than the cross and its redemption is not worthy of our time, of our attention, of our breath. Indeed, Jesus says in the gospel lesson this morning that there will be people who try to lead us astray, trying to tell us that what matters most is maintaining a comfortable life or that it's best to be available to everyone all of the time or that no matter the truth that is eating you up inside, it's much better to be quiet and polite and have a fake smile rather than rock the boat. All these winds of advice and instruction, all these competing stories that make our lives noisy, whether it's on social media or on the television news, every one of us is bombarded with information and with stories about who we are all the time. Even our children are told by others in school who it is that they're expected to be. And parents wonder, dazed and confused, how to raise their children with true stories in their heads and the truth of Christ's resurrection written on their hearts. It is God's vision, and it is the conviction of Father Jordan and I, and it is the mission of your vestry that this St. Augustine's is a place of grace and of truth that in our individual ways and in our common life, we would lay down the lies that divide us and we would cling only to the cross. This way is simple. It is not complicated. It doesn't take a secret list of instructions, but it is not easy and it is not without challenges. The simple way is to show up, preaching to the choir this morning. And once we show up to strip away all that is not of God, 
in these two things, as we practice them together, we're transformed into God's own hands and feet in the world. As we recognize the face of Jesus in every person we meet each day, even in these very halls, we are given the chance not only to see God, but to love our neighbor at the exact same time. This simple way is to let our minds and hearts be filled with scripture. And when we notice our minds or hearts, our emotions or our voices spiraling into directions of fear or anxiety or irritation or frustration, to lay down those worries before God's throne. Because of the cross of Christ, we are free. We are free from ambition and conceit. We are free from fear of change or fear of failure. We're free from darkness and free from destruction. God is all in all. And our heritage from him as his children is to be free. This freedom means that there are no limits, no bottom to the well of God's love and his provision. There's nothing to fear because there is no end. God himself will never change. So there's nothing to fear or resist in the changeableness that is all around us. May we be renewed by the truth that God is our strength. And if we are tired, we may rest in God alone. In this stewardship season, as God knocks on the doors of our hearts to be let in and to make that place his home, may we hear the truth that God's kingdom is abundant and is salvation. That the voices or stories we hear or tell that profess scarcity or smallness or that tell us that we are too old or too small or too stretched. These are lies. God is the truth. Come this year and seek that that truth with us, with Father Jordan and me. Walk with the vestry. Walk with God at St. Augustine's. And let God's truth be the anchor of your heart. Amen. Amen.